now we have a process where that won't happen again, that we have an agreement with our current property management company that when a job order comes in, it gets sent up to the regional manager and any work that's done without improvement from the regional manager is now the liability of the property management company. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Bruce Willett. How you doing, Bruce? Hey, I'm doing fantastic and improving. Thanks well, for having I, me on. I love that phrase. I'm doing fantastic and improving. Huh. Fulfillment is in the progress that we make. And I like that a lot. Bruce is the owner of Bakerson and a full-time multifamily syndicator. Bakerson has bought thousands of individual units, repositioned and sold them. He's been investing for 18 years. He has a personal portfolio of 250 units, and he's got a track record of 16 multifamily projects consisting of 850 units and transacted over 2,000 single-family homes. He's got some experience, needless to say. Based in Scottsdale, 
the Phoenix metro area, Arizona. So with that being said, Bruce, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So currently we're doing multifamily repositioning. We started out in single family, worked into multifamily, buy, fix, and sell. And our current focus is legacy ownership. And I look at legacy as not an image, but something we can pass on to future generations. So our current focus is to acquire and reposition Class C multifamily workforce housing with the really a supreme focus on the resident. That's ultimately our customer. So we focus on taking care of the resident who takes care of the property, that which maintains the value and takes care of Bakerson and the investors. That's our primary focus at the moment, and it seems to be getting a lot of legs right now. A couple questions about that, and then we'll get into some of the stuff you've been doing specifically. Legacy ownership. You said it's about passing it on to future generations. Why is that important to you? I grew up in a family business in Minneapolis, bakery business, and that's where the name Bakerson comes from. I tell everybody that I'm an SOB. I'm a son of a baker. <laughs> Started work with my dad at 11 years old. I worked there for 15 years alongside of him and seen what he did and decided the idea is great, but I didn't care for working in the food industry so much. I wanted to get into the business world, tried a few different things. But what I noticed there is my dad was very gifted at having a business with family involved. And then when we were at work, he was my boss. When I was at home, he was my dad. And it, it was a cool dynamic. And when I first started my business, I didn't want employees. But slowly but surely, my kids grew up. And I've got a son and a son-in-law who worked for me. A daughter who works part-time for me. And then a brother-in-law. So it's been in the family. So I'm thinking, man, if I could help them create a better life, that would be fulfilling for me. And then they can do with it and hopefully create something for their children. And when I've been to these conferences, specifically IMN conferences, I've ran into quite a few legacy owners, and some of them are second and third generation multifamily owners. And I just think that's really cool. They've taken it to a whole new level. They've taken what they learned and applied it. And I like to tell people that none of us are complete geniuses that we say we are. We do something great. We're pretty proud of it, but we realize all of our success is on the back of the thousands of generations of people that have went before us that have created what we, to this point, and we add on to it with our bit and hopefully do something special. There's a contrarian perspective, and I'd like to get your opinion and thoughts on it, and that is first generation makes the money, second generation loses the money, and third generation's just on drugs doing something else. How do you protect against that? Yeah, and I am familiar with that. The other thing that people know as far as generations go, you're loved for one generation, remembered in two, and forgotten in three. So as an individual, I'm not so concerned about whether or not I'm remembered, but I do want to pass on the work ethic and to remember what got us to where we are. I watched my dad work his tail feathers off growing up and a ton of respect for that. And he didn't give us anything. Everything we got, we had to earn. So I'm hoping that I've created in the people that work for me is everything they get is earned. Nothing is passed on. There's not a free car sitting in the driveway ready for them to take it to high school. That kind of life does not exist in my home. They work for it and they prove it and they earn that spot. And then with that work ethic, I'm hoping they can pass it on to the future. Because what happens with some is they try to live vicariously through their children and give them a life they didn't have. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give them a life. I want to give them an opportunity and then they can work that life to their benefit as opposed to just give it to them. And I think that is the difference. And you're right. Most businesses do not make third generation. That's why when I see those. That's highly motivating when I run into those people. So your thought process is I'm going to attempt to protect or mitigate that from happening by leading by example 
And then because it worked for me, I'm speaking as you, because when you saw your dad working his tail off, have that same approach and your thought processes by showing others that they're going to pick up on it and by not giving them things except for opportunity to accomplish things and they'll pass it along. Yeah. And then if they don't, by that time, probably long gone. So I won't see it anyway, but that's the attempt. And what they do with it, I guess they do with it. And I have to remember also, once I hand the business off to the next generation, it's going to change. There's people that they bring in their own skill set, their own ideas, their own vision, and it's going to look different with a new person at the head of it. And I have to accept that. It's going to change and hopefully for the better. And if they ask me for an advice or opinion, I'll certainly share it, but I'm not going to meddle if that comes to that. Or maybe I'm here until the day I perish. You know, I don't have a plan to exit at this point, so I may be in it indefinitely. We'll see. Let's talk about something else you mentioned, which is you have a supreme focus on the residents. So we'll talk more tactics now. How does that tactically come to life? When I've walked the properties, the reason this is motivating for me is when we buy properties, we've purchased a few in Phoenix and Tucson from slumlords, and I see how they treat the residents. And simple math tells me that a resident that pays you $700 a month for five years is a $42,000 customer. And that's a lot of money. That's a a commitment of their income to you that treat them with dignity and respect. I had an experience at Apple Computers where I spent just a fraction of that on some computers. And all of a sudden, I'd get these calls from these business development teams and they give you free courses. And all of a sudden, you're like a superstar because you bought three laptop computers at one time in your company name. And that's awesome. That's a great way to treat your customer. So then how do I do that? When we go on site, I'll periodically walk around the property and people ask or the owner, and I tell them, yeah, and then I ask them, do they like it here? And if they say yes or no, and if they say no, I find out why not and share that with management. And I think it's important that we create the sense of community. And all we're asking for them is to live in peace and pay their rent. Very, very simple. You live in peace and pay your rent. We'll treat you with dignity and respect. If you don't do either one of those, there's certain things we have to do to take care of those matters. And we've had properties which were completely crime-ridden, with prostitution, we had one that they teased it was a drive through pharmacy because there was so much drug distribution going on. And the, mm-hmm. the police officers told us, you're crazy to buy this property. And we did. And 12, 13, 14 months later, I didn't meet with the police, but they met with the property manager and said, man, whatever you guys are doing, we love it. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's impactful. Now we've made a difference in the community as a whole by getting rid of the problem. And the saying that I like to use is if you get rid of the trash, the rats will leave. So that's how it works is, is you get rid of the problem and the problem people leave with it, get rid of the trash. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is we hire third-party property managers, but we make sure they're always on top of the resident calls. If there's a, a work order that comes in, it gets handled as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Things are never ignored. It's a pet peeve. If I walk onto a property and somebody says they have a leaking shower, which didn't happen to me, but it was a property we were touring to buy. And they had wrapped a plastic garbage bag around the faucet because it was running into the wall and it was just causing a problem. And they said, oh, it's been like this for months, but they just won't come and service it. And if that happened at one of my properties, we'd have a discussion with the property manager so that you need to take care of them in a timely and immediate fashion. What's timely? Well, respond within 24 hours to any call. If it's an emergency, obviously sooner. It depends on the magnitude of the level of the problem. If it's something that's health and safety, it has to be fixed immediately and the people need to be accommodated. If there's issues inside the unit that they maybe they couldn't sleep there, you got to put them somewhere for the night, worst case scenario. 
everything has to be responded within the 24 hour period, at least respond that we're on it and then get the work scheduled and then get it done as soon as you get through your staff. The property where the police officer said, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. You turned it around. How many units was that property? 75 units. 75 units. Okay. So you're buying a 75 unit drive through pharmacy and you, at some point in time, when you were buying it or about to buy it, police officer says, don't buy it. You're crazy. And then at some point in time after you purchase it, they say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Tell us the step-by-step process as best you can during this conversation for how you're able to turn that around and get that type of compliment from someone who previously said you're crazy for buying it. Well, I can only speak to the feedback we got from our property managers. I didn't personally walk the property and evict residents or deal with the residents since we have a third Strategi- party. Strategically though, how do you go about oh, the- implementing the plan? The first thing is excessive 911 calls to a unit. If there's excessive 911 calls to a particular unit or about a particular unit, those people will have to leave due to health and safety. You got to make sure that you're following the law, the Landlord-Tenant Act of Arizona. But if there's a lot of excessive 911 calls, they have to go. So is that something you look at in the due diligence? You always go to the police station and ask for a police report? Of, or how do you determine that? No, that's usually after the fact. Once the property is purchased, our property managers are part of the Arizona multifamily. And you can get reports directly from the police department on calls to your units as long as you're going through the program for, for safety for multi-housing. So when they've gone through that, they get a direct link to a community action officer and the community action officer gives them direct reports regarding that particular property. So we require the properties go through the training. It's free training put on by the state of Arizona. And you go to the training and your property gets certified as crime-free multi-housing. What's an excessive amount of calls? I guess I don't know that number. That's what they told us that when there's excessive amounts, they deal with it. So I don't know if that's one a week or one a day or one a month. I guess I don't know that answer. That's a good question. Okay. And then the other thing is the timely payment of rent. And we don't take cash. They may have paid cash previously. So when we go through the audit of the books, we require them to make payments and the timely payments. So we get collected on back rent, past dues. And the property managers we use are very diligent on everything. Everybody is treated the same. It's due on the first, late on the fifth. And then the clock starts ticking and they get a a five-day notice, a 10-day, and so on. So they follow that exact, every resident gets treated exactly the same, regardless of their level of how long they've been there, who they are, what the situation is. Obviously, that changed with COVID right now. The process has changed, but they are always on top of the newest changes and mandates. But to follow that, follow through is the biggest thing is don't let that get behind. Because that can be a problem if you start to ignore that or, or not take care of that that person, if they go four or five months without paying, they're not going to catch up. They're just going to walk out. Mm -hmm. You said you don't take cash. So do you have a certain system that you like to set up with each of the residents so that it's more automated? Yeah, there's online payment systems as preferred. And then they can pay checks at the office or mail them in. But the preferred method is online payment systems. Okay. So those are two components of turning a property around Looking at the 911 calls and seeing if there's excessive amount for a unit, also making sure people are getting caught up or you're evicting them given a non-pandemic world. What else strategically do you do to turn around a 75 unit? The other thing is the amount of traffic, foot traffic through a property. This particular property was fenced fairly well, so we didn't have that issue. But other properties that we've purchased haven't had fencing, and so there's a lot of foot traffic walking through the property. and Lighting is a big issue. 
at night there's certain corners when they walk through they would do their drug sales for example another property in tucson 74 unit they had a lot of that kind of traffic we put in some leds high level leds lit up the property we did not fence it off we left it open but controlled the traffic you added more and more lights and trim back the trees and the bushes it reduced the traffic considerably that people began to walk around because it's so, it was so lit up in the courtyards and the, in the corners and then at times we've had to do patrol, foot patrol, walk around because there's people that are not to be on property that have been trespassed. Another thing is there's people that don't live there. You can trespass them and then they're not allowed back unless they have a specific guest they're visiting. And, and the property managers are fairly good at asking the right questions like, who are you? What are you doing here? Who are you visiting? Or which unit are they? And then once they get that, they know whether they belong or not. And mm-hmm. I've experienced that firsthand when I was walking one of the properties, there's a small group of people sitting in this corner and so I asked them what they were doing. They said, oh, we're just hanging out. So I went and told the manager that, hey, there's some people. It looks a little nefarious. So she went over there and I walked over there with her and she asked a bunch of questions. I'm like, well, they're good. And those people got up and left. So kind of asked the same questions I did, but in a more very specific questions. What are you doing here? Who are you with? Oh, which unit are they? Oh, are, did you stay here? Or are you just visiting? Are they home right now? Can we go talk to them? And after a while, they realized that they've been caught. And, they get up. Mm-hmm. and very, very persistent on that foot traffic, especially in the higher crime neighborhoods, you can have more issues like that. Thank you. That's very helpful. From landscaping to lighting and the types of questions to ask as well. You said that your properties are managed by third-party managers. I'm going to give you a scenario that might be a nightmare for you, but I'd like to hear how you'd work through it. Your current third-party property managers are gone. They decide not to go and be in the business anymore. So now you have to hire a new third-party property manager. What questions do you ask them that have allowed you to achieve the success that you've achieved within multifamily? That happened to us. It's pretty interesting you mentioned that because we had a person that left with no notice. So we were really, really smart. We decided we're going to set up our own property management company. So we hired a broker, hired some people, and well, that didn't go so well. So we closed the doors on our vertical integrated property management company. Why didn't it work? Just the amount of resources to put to it. We didn't have the right people in place. I hired them based on emotion. They said the right thing without knowing who they were. It started really good for 90 days. It was phenomenal. Well, then the person got in over their head and she didn't admit it. And we just thought, oh, we'll just keep helping her. Well, pretty soon we were doing all the work, but yet paying her to do it. And we just said, this isn't going to work. And let's just focus on what we do best. Why don't we find properties and reposition them and have property managers that have tens of years of experience with this and pay them to do the work instead of trying to find that person in-house? So our expertise is finding good deals. That's really, really what we're good at. Mm -hmm. But in that scenario, what did we do? Because that actually happened. So then we ended up hiring another company we use right now. And prior relationship with one of the individuals helped. But the questions that you would ask is, what other properties in the area are you managing? How many units in this market are you managing? What class are they? If they're all class A, and this is their only class C property, then it's probably not a match, as an example. The other thing is, I've asked to, to visit with other owners that have used them and get their experience, and then I've asked to tour the property. And one of the strongest recommendations we got is through the local brokers. Like we spend most of our time in Tucson. So there's really three major, major brokers there. So you just interview them and just say, hey, who are the best property managers in town and why? And then when you get a name, you'd ask them, do you know these people? What do you know about them? What do you like? What do you not like? And nobody 
I don't care how good they are. Nobody checks every box. There's always some area of growth that they could have. Mm-hmm. And you just decide, is that an area you're willing to leave that gap? Mm-hmm. Or is that one that needs to be bridged before you hire them? Because as you know, it's impossible to get somebody to check every single box. They check most of them. And you decide, okay, that's one that's a gap, but that's one we're willing to stomach or willing to cover ourselves or work with them on. But those are probably the biggest three things is tour the properties, talk to the owners and visit with local brokers. It's really interesting that you identified finding the area of growth and being okay with it or not okay with it that the individual or the property management company has because that makes me think, well, if I'm doing my research and I have not identified where are they a little short on or where could they improve, then I need to keep digging. Otherwise, I'm going in with blinders on and I'm going to be surprised by something that will hurt the business. Oh, that happened. We didn't. We went in with one of the property managers that we were recommended. We didn't do any diligence on them and we hired them. And then after some months, they're doing cash basis accounting. Our CPA said, you got to do accrual. So we did accrual accounting and uncovered between two properties, $90,000 of unpaid bills. Oh. (laughs) And that gave us a stomachache. (laughs) <laughs> the total units on that was just over 200 units between those two buildings. That gave us a stomachache. We lost some sleep. Okay, what happened? Where did it go? Then we accounted for it. And we had to contact the people and put a plan together to pay them back, right? Because wow. as you know, when you're repositioning a property, the liquidity is very low. While you, when you actually maybe wouldn't know, but in the properties we buy, sometimes we run them down to 20% occupied, 80% vacant while we're repositioning them. And when you have a bill like that come over, it, it's a headache. So I talked to our attorney and went through that. And he said, Bruce, did they do the work? Yes, they actually did the work. Did you receive benefit? Yes, we received benefit. Then you got to pay the bill. You can go after them if you want. So we thought about it. I thought, you know, I'm not not a litigious person. I could probably sue them. I'm not forgetting. Let's just pay it. Do the best we can. Move on. Replace them and mark it up as a learning experience. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. Wow. Yeah, that (laughs) that was quite the scare. So yeah, we have had those type of horror stories. And I could do a whole show just on those if you wanted someday. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point, cash versus accrual-based accounting, how important that is. Yes. If it's it's logged, as soon as it comes in, it won't get missed. But if it's just put in a file and once you get the money, you start pulling the bills out of the file cabinet, well, if it's 90 days, the vendors are upset. Mm -hmm. And that's where we finally got wind of it because they started reaching out to us directly. Whoa, what's going on? But the good news is now we have a process where that won't happen again that we have an agreement with our current property management company that when a job order comes in, it gets sent up to the regional manager and any work that's done without approval from the regional manager is now the liability of the property management company. And they agreed to that. And everything they do is very open. We get weekly reports instead of monthly. So with that, it's how do we mitigate that in the future? We've set up new systems to keep that from happening. Taking a step back, looking more big picture, What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Make sure you properly due diligence on those that you work with. I think that's the biggest thing. Just that people say what they're going to do and then do what they said they're going to do. That's really the best thing I can offer. And we talked about different ways to do that as it relates to property managers. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. All right. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co 
forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Okay, what's the best ever book you've recently read? Life is Magic by John Dornbaugh. Best ever deal you've done? 34 units in Tucson was an amazing experience. Why? We bought it with the intent to do a 24-month turn. We turned it in 11 months, and we made profit. The investors were happy, and the owner that bought it thanked us for selling him the property. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I'm very involved at our local church with volunteer, and so I give back to our local church here in Cape Creek, Arizona. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Three ways, bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N.com. You can email me, bruce at bakerson.com, or they could call or text me at 520-808-9111. Bruce, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your experiences, repositioning properties, and getting tactical to give us some tips for how to do so and also how to qualify third-party property managers and some lessons learned along the way. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thanks. Hopefully they gathered uh, at least one golden nugget out of that. appreciate your time.